After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You got to check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You guys see this fight? This boxing match took place in California, and the the fight went off, and and, and the guy who won was like a twenty-two to one favorite going into the match. Right? I mean, just uh, typical boxing. Boxing will get it. They've got it wrong from the beginning of their sport. They will never get it right. They are so incredibly married and attached to for absolutely false ideas that do not exist anywhere except within their own minds. A guy's record. Boxing has never found a way to make it acceptable to lose. 
which is 50% of the chance that you have when you go out and compete, which means boxing has never sold the idea or gotten over to the audience or even conceived that they should promote competition. And when you're competing, you it comes with losses. So a guy's got to be 20 and 0 or he's a bum. It's got to be 25 and 0 or he's a bum. So you're bringing all these cans to build this record. The guy never sold a ticket on the way to getting to 25 and 0, but then they can make a poster, put it on there and throw them in Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's just, it's just the recipe that boxing has always followed. Having absolutely no consideration that it took eight years for the guy to get to this record with absolutely no competition because they went out of their way to make sure that there was no competition, which means he, he cannot sell or make any money. The whole thing was a waste of time so that he can have the one fight at Madison Square Garden with a poster that says 25 and oh, I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Everything I just stated for you is ridiculous, but it's the way boxing does it. So a guy goes out, he's in a boxing match, of which he's a 22 to one underdog. A mystery shot takes place. He goes down, he's out, fights over. And this is like fast, 40 seconds into it. And that's with the one, two, three, four, all the way to 10 and the guy's out. I mean, California State Athletic Commission withheld his purse. And the commission said, and Andy Foster spoke on this. He said, just to be perfectly clear, we are not accusing him of anything. We are not saying at all he did anything wrong. We're asking that he come in and talk with us and that we give this a review and let us ask a couple of questions. Okay. So very polite, very polite by the executive director. But if you take another bit of a look at this or you go watch the fight, there was no make-believe story where the guy was knocked out. It was a punch that was thrown. The glove, the legal part of the punch in boxing, never touches him. But the bicep, the guy's bicep kind of comes around, touches his face. He goes down and he never gets up. I'm not certain what it is he needs to explain. There, there was nothing within the rules that uh, for it to be a knockout, you have to be knocked out. There's not even anything in the rules that says you have to try. I mean, this is a case of he got very scared and looked for a way out, but that's extremely common. Guys do this every Saturday night. Most of them sell it a little bit better. Most of them will wait until that punch lands and then go down and then start arguing at the ref and throw this whole fit and get into the back, hit the shower and go, whoo, got away with one. I just don't know where the commission would come into. What's the commission going to say? Were you hurt? Were you really out? Why did you stay down? Does it matter? I'm not a very tough guy. I didn't belong in there. It was a mismatch. I got scared. He touched me. I was looking for a way out. I took it earlier than most guys would. I was planning to take it in the third round. I found I found it in the first 40 seconds. What do you say? That now becomes the athlete becomes between the athlete and his promoters. He's going to get another match. Look, if you go out and you take a fall like that and pretend that you're knocked out when you are not, it's one of those things. But to act as though that isn't very common, to explain to you, the audience, how many rear naked chokes you've seen in the last 10 years that were real would be very easy to do because I could do it on one hand. And I wouldn't need very many fingers on that hand. The rear naked choke is the move for, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm done. You got me. There's no way to get out. The ref's not going to stop it. My counter corner's not going to throw the tap. I'm going to turn over, put the hooks in. Don't hit me once. Put on this choke. I'll do my part. Tap, tap, tap. There's nothing wrong with that. It sounds terrible the way I say it. It sounds terribly cowardly. It's what you're trying to do. You're trying to break your opponent. You will largely try to break him down physically, but there's also a mental component. There's also a level of exhaustion. There's also a level of fear. Once you're dominating the guy and he can't go anywhere, man, I got to get out of here. You're not doing enough damage to put me out. You're not doing quite enough damage for the referee to step in and save me. Let me roll over, grab my neck. I'll do my part. Happens in boxing too. There was a fight. Josh Thompson was in it. I'm trying to think of who he fought. I know the guy that he fought. And Josh threw a punch. They were, it was, they were grounded. Grounded pound. Josh threw a punch. Punch missed. Guy goes out cold. So they stand up. This is in the UFC. So they stand up, and they're showing it on the big screen. It was the night that Tito fought Randy. I offer that because I was there. Punch missed. 
And so Rogan's interviewing Josh, and they look at the screen, and, and Rogan says, tell me about this punch. And they play it like in slow motion. I mean, it clearly missed. And Josh Thompson says on the microphone, he watches it, and he simply says to Joe Rogan, the punch missed. <laughs> but it was a react. The guy was ready to go. Now, to my point, what do you do when you're in the fight business and you're paying people to fight and one guy doesn't fight? What do you, well, you don't have him back. Gerald Streben, that was the name I'm looking for. And Gerald didn't come back. I don't know where the commission would be involved. And how far are we going to go through that? Are we going to make believe the night that Mike Tyson missed Bruce Selden and you could have counted to one or you could have counted to 100? Selden wasn't getting up. It missed. Selden was the world champ. Tyson won a world title over Selden. That's how good Selden was. He brought the damn belt that Mike left with. This wasn't some bum from the bar who got paid by a dirty promoter to put him in there with a guy who was a 22 to 1 favorite to try to build a guy in a, in a corrupt and filthy sport in the first place. That's not what happened. That was a champion of the world. He didn't want in there. I mean, how far are we going to go? And what is it you're trying to say? A knockout has never mean a guy needs to be knocked out, ever. It means he stays down for 10 seconds and doesn't get up. That's what it is. I'm just, I'm interested in this. I want to see where the commission is going to go. What questions are you going to ask? Unless you're going to ask, did you bet against yourself or did somebody tell you to go to, and if there's nothing nefarious there, what is it you're going to say? And what's the boxer going to say? Is he going to keep on trying to lie about this and go, oh man, that, that you know, that bicep. That bicep touched my face, man. I just didn't know where I was. What's he going to say? Go in there and tell the truth. Here's what the rules say. You go down for 10 seconds, you don't get up, the other guy wins, and I lose. That's what I, that's what I did. That's what happened. Nothing to see here. Pay me. Glenn, I got to tell you, your historical facts are spot on. And, yeah, so Muhammad Ali, who didn't have to do that. And don't forget, Glenn, this was a very different time. It's hard to relate to. You almost have to close your eyes and use your imagination. But when this happened, Ali being inspired by Gorgeous George, don't forget Ali was there live. He was at what was called a house show, meaning you must be in the house to see the show. It was not aired. It was not televised. This was not a pay-per-view. This was not streamed online. The word streaming was not created. The word online was not created. I mean, very different time. But I bring that to you because Ali never would have been busted. If you go out there and you rip off a guy's gimmick today, you're busted. And it's okay, you can take it and you can run with it and you can be inspired by whoever you want to inspire you. We all are whoever we pretend to be and it largely comes because we looked up to somebody. It could be a group of somebodies. The best entertainers in the world were all influenced and ripped off somebody in some fashion. I'm not disparaging that. I'm sharing with you that it's interesting that Ali added himself. He never had to. But he respected what he saw with George so much. He saw how much money and attention that he was getting. He knew within his own heart where he got, and he wanted to pay homage and respect to that guy. It's very relevant to the story. Nobody ever would have known the story that you just told, that Muhammad Ali was influenced in ripping off lines by the pro wrestler Gorgeous George. Had Muhammad Ali not said it, Gorgeous George himself had not connected those dots to shine up his own wheels and put himself over. Now would be very easy to do. There'd be a camera, somebody would be there with an iPhone, they'd put out the George thing, they'd put the Ali thing right next to it and go, George said it first. Ali stole his line. And they would think like they busted him somewhere, but that's what they would do. So when they did this, they went and asked George. They go, well, hey, George, where'd you get it? And George ripped off the gimmick from some golfer like a golfer from the 1920s or the 1930s. And I don't know who it was. I've never seen anybody interested in golf that wasn't named Happy Gilmore. But some golfer was pretty flamboyant and arrogant, and George had seen him. So George stole the gimmick, took it over to pro wrestling. And that's a very common thing. And I like when guys do that. Ric Flair took another guy's gimmick from the hair to the robe all the way down and then ran with it even further. Further to the point that I'm calling the other guy, the other guy. I don't know who it was. Rip Rogers. That's who it was. Hulk Hogan has been very open to say that he stole his gimmick from the superstar Billy Graham. Now, all the guys got an idea somewhere. Stone Cold Steve Austin said 
that he got his gimmick all the way down to the moniker of Stone Cold by watching a documentary on a serial killer. I watched that documentary, actually. I know, I know who he was talking about. The guy was very cold. The guy had no emotion at all. Discovered anthrax and started like walking around the streets and <clears throat> he'd pretend to cough and he'd spray a bottle in someone's face and watch him. I mean, cold, cold. And Stone Cold wasn't saying like, I want to be known as a serial killer. I want to be, I, but I want this Stone Cold. I want this no emotion. I want absolutely nothing. Got no friends. Good guys betting. It's where he took his gimmick from. Dusty Rhodes who was training guys for the WWE, would tell the guys in the back. Cal Jack, one of the guys that he, he, he trained, told me the story. He said, Dusty would tell us, find somebody and copy him. And it can be anybody. It doesn't need to be a wrestler. In fact, it's better if it's not. Go watch some movies. Find a character in a movie that you can then adapt and bring over to this world. Listen to the radio, listen to songs, listen to the way somebody is saying something that captivates you, figure out what it was specifically, and then bring it over here and do it on our microphone. So I like that idea, and, and, and you are right. There's no, there's no shame here, though, in Muhammad Ali for ripping off somebody else's act. In fact, it's the opposite. Props to Muhammad Ali for one, identifying something that he thought he could translate over to a different sport, and then two, paying homage to the guy. Gorgeous George does not go down as a superstar. He did not go down as a wealthy man. He doesn't go down as anything. Ali was very nice in getting himself up in the loft, but then dropping the ladder down behind and saying, you know what, George, you belong up here to some level as well. If people are enjoying my level of entertainment, I want to show you the respect of telling them that I was influenced by you. All right, I want to give you an official prediction for Felder versus RDA, but I want to drag it on. I don't want to just say Felder. I don't just want to say RDA. I want to drag it on. Look, going into all fights, there's always a story. And within that story, there's always a question. And it can be something as simple as, well, take last week, by example. You had Santos versus Glover, but you had a question of is Santos in shape? He's been out for 500 days, by the way, had surgery, so we know we know he wasn't even training for 8 to 10 to 12 months. Is he in shape? It was just a question. Question ended up getting answered. Longer the fight went, a little bit harder it got. That's okay. I'm just proving the point that we have a question going into fights. Felder taking a fight on short notice, how is that going to affect him? Is it going to affect him? Now, when you start talking about that, you're really talking about one thing. Same thing that Santos was asked. Are you in shape? Paul Felder said, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, I prefer a five-round fight. There was never a discussion on my side about shortening it to three rounds, which has been done. We have done, even in 2020, main events that are supposed to be five rounds where somebody helps out on short notice and goes, look, man, I'll, I'll do the favor for you. Just make it five. Make, make it three rounds, right? Don't make it five. We've seen that on other levels as well. If you guys will remember at UFC 200, Anderson Silva got brought in on like three days notice to take on Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier was the sitting champion of the world. This is when Daniel was supposed to fight John Jones and John Jones pops. Gets pulled from the fight. So they fly Anderson and he does this whole thing. Weighs in at 205, does the paperwork, goes out and does the match. But he tells Dana ahead of time, he goes, man, I'll do this whole thing for you. I'm not fighting him for 25 minutes. On three days' notice, going up away, I'm not fighting him for 25 minutes. And Dana goes, well, but Anderson, he's the champ. I mean, the champ fights in 25 minutes fights. And Anderson will say that it's not a title fight. But it's, it's Daniel. He's the champion. This is within his weight class. It's, it has to be five rounds. If you beat him, Anderson, you don't become the champion. Anderson said, I'm 15 minutes. I'm stepping on a big grenade here and I'll do the whole thing, but I'm not going to do it for 25 minutes. Now, I only bring that to you to prove that there's a history and there is a way to do it. And Felder didn't even ask for it. So I was on Errol and the Bad Guy today. I was talking to Helwani. And Helwani said the reason Felder accepted and is in such good shape is he's in training right now for a triathlon. I thought that was very telling. I mean, I thought that was a, a really interesting detail that only Ariel would have, and he did have it, and I feel that story needs to be told. That does change things. 
If Felder isn't training for a triathlon, I don't know that we have to scratch our head and wonder, can he go 25 minutes? I would conclude the answer is yes. So now all of a sudden you're throwing out some of these intangibles and you can just break this down on the X's and O's. Now you're going to have the old classic theory going into this, which is the striker of Felder versus the grappler of RDA. That is lazy and that's not totally accurate. First off, Felder's grappling is not bad. Felder's wrestling defense is very good. RDA's hands are just fine. And I got I to gotta bring that to you as well. RDA can trade. He can punch and kick with the best of them. In fact, some of the bigger problems that RDA has ever had is getting taken down and not being able to get up. I mean, three losses that come to me off the top of my head for RDA. Kamara Usman. Colby Covington, Khabib Nurmagomedov. But that was all positional battles. Every one of those was a positional battle that ultimately got turned over to the judges who ultimately had to enforce the 10-9 must system. If everything else is equal, but you lost position, you lost the round. You lose more rounds than the other guy, you lose the fight. That's what happened. So I'm just sharing with you, this isn't as simple as grappler versus striker at all. These are two mixed martial artists. Paul came from a striking background and RDA came from a wrestling a grappling, a jiu-jitsu background. That was 15 years ago. But 15 years ago, these guys are MMA guys, okay? Paul Felder is not safe the moment he's on his feet, and RDA is not safe if this fight goes to the... These guys are going to go fight, period. This fight is very easy to see two different ways. One with a stoppage due to strikes. One of them catches the other one. It's also very easy to see 25 minutes of fun, right? Now, I think that RDA is going to look to use that wrestling. I think RDA is going to look to trade just enough to get a hold of him and try to get Paul down. I'm just not willing to sign off on the idea that he's going to succeed. Paul, Paul's got very good hips. Paul understands wrestling very well. All of Duke Rufus's guys do but they only get credited as strikers. I mean, even Anthony Pettis himself, if you go back and look at Pettis's record, you will be stunned to find how many submissions he has. You have likely forgot the night he became the champion of the world. He did that with an arm bar from his back. What a Rufus has got. I only offer that to you because Rufus, who himself was a kickboxer, as an MMA co- he coaches MMA. He himself was a kickboxer. He coaches MMA. That always gets lost on the Rufus guys, and I think that it's getting lost on Paul Felder a little bit. And the same as I can tell you how good Paul is on the ground, or moreover, he's even better at avoiding going to the ground than he is once he gets there. Man, I got to tell you, RDA can do some work on his feet. RDA just does the basics very well. He will march you down, he will bury his chin, and he will start throwing hands, and he's a pretty damn powerful guy. I mean, it's one of those things where you don't have to be dynamic like Demetrius Johnson, and you don't have to be tricky like Izzy Adesanya. If you can get this to the target, you've done everything you need to do. RDA does that. If I was to give you an official pick, I feel that they were both up against the same thing. I realize that Felder is getting the shine right now for stepping in on short notice, but everything that Felder is doing, RDA is doing. Possibly to a lesser extent in that RDA was planning on this date. That would be the only thing you could add in RDA's category. Felder stepped in to fight RDA, having no idea he was going to fight RDA. RDA said, I'll fight Felder. RDA didn't (laughs) didn't have five more minutes to think about that than Felder did. They're both coming into it, but there is one guy who's going to have more, even though it's even, even though they're both doing the same thing. They both accepted a fight against an opponent they didn't know they were going to have on extremely short notice. The perception, though, is that Felder is the one taking the risk. Felder is the one who is up against it. Perception being reality means the pressure's on RDA. Like it or not, fair or not, that's the case. I think that's a very real thing because I think Felder's going to go out there and be a little bit more playful. One thing in fighting that comes in very, very handy isn't to be careless, but it is to care less. If you can care less than your opponent, you have the power. 
in any relationship, it could be a romantic one. If the other person cares less about it than you do, they got the power. It could be a business relationship. The other guy cares less if this deal gets done than you do. He's got the power. And I think that Paul Felder going into this with perception being reality and being able to be not careless, but to care less is going to be helpful. I've never in my life predicted a fight based on who is going to care less about it, but I am right now, and I'm doing it because if an athlete can ever be playful, if he can ever go out there and just loosen up, let his training take over, that's always the plan. It's always what you'll say to the media. That's what you're trying to convince yourself of, but athletes will also tell you it just just simply doesn't work that way. That's what I try to do, but I don't quite get all the way there. But when they do, something special happens. My prediction, Paul Felt. You're listening to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Guys, I am super excited to share with you a product that is an absolute game changer. It is a tobacco and nicotine-free dip alternative with CBD, and it tastes great. Canadip CBD has mastered a discreet and fast-acting way to consume CBD and provided it in a format that can help you evolve your dip. Whether you want to toss in some Canadips when you're done rolling on the mat or watching the fights from your house, the Canadip CBD products are a versatile and effective product. Canadip CBD is offering my listeners an exclusive offer. They are so confident that you will love the product. They are offering the California Roll, which is five tins, one of each of their core flavors, winter green, mint, mango, centrus, and spice, for 50% off. That's right, 50% off. For only $25, you can try all five and find out your favorite. Head over to CanadipsCBD.com. Use the promo code Uncle Chael. That's going to save you 50% off the California roll. Yep, that's only $5 a tin. These Canadips CBD pouches are all natural, spitless, and great to use whenever and wherever. No tobacco, no nicotine, full flavor experience designed for enjoyment. No more hiding your tin from your wife and playing sneak at you. Grab the Canadips California roll at CanadipsCBD.com with promo code Uncle Chael and sample the whole lineup. These dip manufacturers from Humboldt County, California have been perfecting this product since 2016, and they are excited for you to try it. Put down your old can and pick up a can of Canadips at CanadipsCBD.com with passcode Uncle Chael and find your favorite flavor in the California roll for 50% off at only $5 a can. Now back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. Leon Edwards was talking with Ariel and he said a few things about Chemayev and it was very interesting because Leon was not wrong. Uh, By example, he said, look, I don't really know what to make of Chemayev. He's certainly being hyped right now. But I, I was 9-0 and in my career at one point. He's now won three fights in the UFC, and it was over questionable competition. So by the way, I had, I had an eight-second knockout in the UFC. But if you were to go back and look at points in my career, I've done everything that he's done. He's just done it more recent, and he's got a, live, a lot of eyeballs on him for whatever reason. He's not wrong on any of those things. Leon then went out to say, I expect a title shot with a win. Now, I went to the ESPN YouTube page, and he had done another interview where he said, I have been promised a title shot with a win. I want to go back to the first comment where he said, I expect one, because I would expect him to get one too. And that division is very, very crowded right now. There's never a day. We know that Usman's going to fight Burns. We just don't know when. And we're hearing rumors that that has been pushed all the way out to February for whatever reason. And I've even asked Usman why. I've even asked Burns why. Neither one of them knew. And I'm only bringing that to you guys because there wasn't like some kind of an illness or an injury. It was just the way the calendar fell and what matches were going to go where. And that one's all the way in February. But I bring that to you because it's relevant to the division because you've also got the biggest star of the whole sport named George Masvidal within the division. 
You got Covington, who's a great choice any night you want to make it for a world title fight in the division. Ponzanibo is being ignored for whatever. So we'll just set him aside. I guess we'll ignore him over here, too. You got Leon. You got Chemayev. I mean, you've got a division right now where when are you going to fight for the title? I mean, if Leon gets over, don't forget when this fight is. This fight is in February. It is two months later, and that is only a rumor that Usman and Burns will finally get things handled. Let's say that that does. That's two months later, two months of sitting around as the number one contender. We have seen that happen with a couple of guys through history. But guys, when I talk about through history, since they set that cage up in 1993, we have seen this happen to a couple of guys where they've actually just sat and waited and waited and waited while other guys in their division are fighting and forming to get a title shot. In fact, of those couple of guys, one of them's doing it right now named Francis Ngannou. Francis had the fight with Rosenstruck, sat out a little bit. They knew that Cormier and Stipe were going to fight. She said, Francis, you're the guy, just sit on ice. I mean, that's just a plan that doesn't work. It's a plan that never works. It's a plan that, one, the organization doesn't love. Two, the fans don't love because they forget, right? If Leon goes out and beats Shemaya, oh, my God, he's going to be red hot until Tuesday of the following week when the news cycle starts up for the next show. And then in addition to that, hey, Leon, do you want to wait? I mean, this could, this could be a minute here, Leon. Do you want to wait? Do you want to fight? You, ha- you haven't fought in 2020. Do you want to fight Chemayev in December? And then do you want to wait until July of 2021? And he might come back and say, no. No, I do not. Book me, pay me. So I bring it to you because I do think that Leon's right. I think a lot of those things he said in the interview were right. I don't think he was being disrespectful to Chemayev. He just came in and said, I've done all the same stuff Chemayev has done. He's done it more recently, and he's got a whole bunch of cameras on him, right? But I've done all of that stuff. Okay, that's true. He said, we don't know how good Chemayev is. Don't have enough footage on him. Don't know. That's true. And he's saying that he thinks he should get a title shot if he beats Chemayev. That's true. I mean, all of those things are true because there would be some talk about Chemayev getting a title shot, and I think that Chemayev could be missing his boat right now on the 170 right? Particularly in light of the fact that Adesanya is leaving 185. And if he beats Blahovich, he isn't returning anytime soon. He's going to defend at 205. That is at least the plan should everything work out. What do we know in this sport? Plans never work. You got to change a plan every day, but that's the plan today. It would seem like there's some major opportunity for Chemayev at 185. Because I think if Chemaya was to get over on Leon, no matter how impressive that would be, and even if Chemaya was to take that ranking of number three, I don't know that his argument would hold up against the Colby Covingtons, against the George Mosbados. I don't know that it would. Geographically speaking, you do have something special in Chemayev, in Fight Island specifically, particularly in the absence of Khabib. So do politics come into it? Yeah, you bet they do. They're a very real thing. If you're going to start hedging your bet on who's going to go where, you better start factoring in some of those politics. Corey Sandhagen is picking a fight with TJ Dillashaw for a number one contendership. Now, Sandhagen is a guy that if you're a young fighter, you are going to want to study. His skills, his range, his understanding of the sport, his ability to mix up the grappling with the striking, that is a guy you want to study. If you want to understand the business don't listen to Sandhagen. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Never does. If you want to know, if you want to know nothing about the, if you want to get dumber about the business, not the sport, the sport, the guy's a genius. If you want to get dumber about the business, go talk to Sandhagen. But he got this one right. He got this one right. So listen to what Sandhagen said. And this was on accident. Okay. This was on accident, but he got this one right. Called out TJ Dillashaw and said for the number one contendership, the UFC did not say that. The UFC did not say this is a number one contenders match. He said it. Brilliant. Simple. And it will work. If he can get the fight with TJ and he can continue to say it's for the number one contendership, he can get the media to say it's for the number one contendership, he can make that a number one contenderships match. Period. I can look back at the night that Eddie Alvarez fought Justin Gaethje for the title of the most violent man. And that fight was in the works, and they were going to fight for the most violent man title for like eight weeks, and then the fight was like 10 days away, and I was talking to Eddie on the phone when Eddie informed me that Eddie made that up. I had no idea. 
for eight weeks. I, I thought I thought they were fighting for the title, the most violent man. I mean, I thought that the promotion put that. I thought that was a real thing, and it was. By the way, Eddie won it. Eddie won it and left with the, the title of the most violent man. Eddie left the organization. They've now given the title back to Justin Gaethje. When Justin Gaethje gets ready to fight between John Anik, Dom Cruz, and, and, and Daniel Cormier, they call him the most violent man. The moniker worked. The idea worked. Nate Diaz says me and Masvidal are going to fight to find out who the BMF is. They fought for a BMF title. The Rock was there. Put it around his waist. It's a very real thing. I'm, but it's you got to do it in order. See, this only works if you do it in order. So Sandhagen calling out Dillashaw for the number one contendership. It only works because Sandhagen did it in that order. He didn't wait to get to TJ and then go, hey, by the way, this is for the number one contendership, right? Hey, guys, I think this should be for the number one contendership. No, he called it ahead of time. Ahead of time. So now if you're the UFC and you like that idea and you like that fight, there's something coming with it. There's a string attached. This is for the number one contendership. If you're TJ Dillashaw, you're now coming out. You're doing the same thing. Okay, this is for the number one contendership. Are we all agreed? Number one contendership. Okay, great. That's not official. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's official because Sanhagen did it in the right order. And I don't think he's wrong. And when I was picking on Sanhagen a, a, a minute ago, by the way, Largely, that's based on the post-fight speech that he gave after his last performance. When they were getting ready to do the screw job on Aljo and give the fight to Sanhagen. They were getting ready to make the fight that night, and Sanhagen didn't pick up on it. Everybody watching the fight knew. John Anik, who's asking the question and has a piece in his ear, knows why he's asking the question, because we're getting ready to rob Aljo, Sanhagen. And we're going to give it to you. Sanhagen didn't follow his own division, didn't follow the sport, and said that it's Aljo's fight, but he sure would like to fight the winner. That's why. I, that's the only reason I'm picking on Sanhagen. He's back to square. He lost one. He lost one in that interview. He made up for it in a big way. Well done, Sanhagen. Joe Rogan tells a story, and he leads into it by saying, I got this story from Dana. So you know how the game of telephone works, right? And now I'm doing the same thing. So I got a story from Joe Rogan that Joe Rogan got from Dana. Let's see how it goes. But they, the doctors brought Yoel in. Yoel had like a, a fracture in his orbital. They bring him in. And the doctor calls Dana and goes, this is, this is the most unusual human being I have ever seen. And Dana's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a great athlete. You know, how's the eye doing? The doctor goes, no, no. Dana, I don't mean from an athletic standpoint. I mean, from 40 years in practice, I've never seen a human being like this and then begin to break down, medically speaking, the things that were unique about Yoel. And I've been telling you guys from the beginning, you know, because Yoel's got one of those bodies. He takes his shirt off and he's, he's cloaked in success. He's in his 40s. He's still a top guy. And you just instantly go, Peds, no, you're wrong. And by the way, USADA is not the holy grail for PEDS. My eyes are the holy grail for PEDS. I will tell you every time, not only if, I will tell you what, and I will never be wrong. And no, Yoel, Yoel, the way he looks right now is the way he looked when he was 18. First time I ever saw Yoel Romero, he was 18. By the way, competed in the same weight class that he's in now. Peds in this order make you bigger, stronger, faster. In that order, he weighs the same thing now that he weighed when he was 18. Which one of you can say that? I, I know I can't. I cannot make that claim. So at any rate, the doctor comes out with how impressed he was. But I will tell you, even at 18, it was the same thing. I mean, I have just seen Yoel do some athletic feats that you haven't because I follow wrestling. Nobody follows wrestling. I follow wrestling. So I've seen some. Then you've also seen them. And you want to know what one of the most athletic feats that he pulled was? Was the dance-off he had with Adesanya. I swear to goodness I stand by that claim. I understand there's no championship and prestige in that. I'm talking about pure athleticism. When he is on stage with Adesanya, a dance-off breaks off, and Yoel Romero, while in street clothes, hits a backflips into the splits. Who amongst us can do a backflip? And Some of you just raised your hand and said, well, you know, chill. matter of fact, I can't. Okay, would you try one in street clothes? Oh, you would. Okay. Would you try one in street clothes on a stage that's slippery? Oh, you would. Okay. Would you try one in street clothes on a stage that's slippery in front of the world at 40 plus years old without warming up? I mean, you see how fewer and fewer hands are going up? Who amongst us can do the splits? I, there probably some hands just went up. 
Who amongst us is over 40 years old and can do the the splits? Who amongst us is over 40 years old can do the splits without warming up? I mean, there was was so much that went in to that very brief dance-off that he had with Adesanya from an athletic standpoint. I bring that to you because when Rogan's talking about, that this doctor's talking about, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, and sooner or later he's going to get the credit. I got no problem with UL athletically in any way. As a wrestler or as an MMA fighter, I do struggle to comprehend his strategic approaches in many of his fights. To have an Olympic medal and a world gold medal To be on the roster with Henry Cejudo and Daniel Cormier, and they both say Yoel Romero is the best wrestler in MMA. And then to have Yoel not use his wrestling, I struggle with some of his strategic approaches. But Yoel's brother was an Olympian for Cuba. Yoel was the Olympian for wrestling. His brother was the Olympian in boxing. So Yoel grew up around boxing, and there must have been a part of him that got so much wrestling out of his system, he wanted to change over and use his hands. I'm guessing. I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't use it more. You know, and speaking of Adesanya, by the way, Adesanya was doing this really interesting. See, Adesanya's mind is different. I I get very interested in learning more about Adesanya and what makes him tick up here. And he's done some things that show ice running through his veins. And I will always go back to his ring entrance the night he fought for the undisputed title against Whitaker. 57,000 people. Right at home. It was in Australia. He's from New Zealand. Those those two don't get along. A lot of pressure, a lot of things going in this, and he dances a choreographed dance with some uh, high school buddies to the ring. The mere fact that he could be that composed, use that kind of energy, reset, take care of business, reset a second time after the match and call out Paulo Costa. I thought told us a lot about his mind. So when he did this interview, he was just talking. And he said, man, I don't give a damn about this undefeated business. I don't know why anybody talks about that. There's no championship for undefeated. It's just this title that guys like to carry around with themselves. I'm not worried about it. In fact, I know I can be beat. I have been beat. Not only have I been beat in competition, and he's talking about his kickboxing days. He said, I get, I get beat in the practice room someday. Come over by the gym. You'll see me look real good some days, and you'll see me get beat some days. What's that got to do? What's that got to do with me going out there and trying to compete? I mean, it's just one of these things where he's letting you in on this mindset, and he's completely right. Completely. You'll never get guys to quit overthinking their career, ever. They're too locked to it. One thing you have to be to be a good athlete is selfish. And people that are selfish are pricks. So athletes are selfish pricks. Okay. But when they do interviews, they really help to show that for you. All they know is their own career. They know who they fought. They know what they're ranked. And they know who they think that they should be fighting next. And they think that we know. We don't know at all. At all. Don't know who you fought two years ago or why you're even bringing it up. What's that got to do with next weekend? Don't know what the number next to your name is or your opponents. What's it got to do with it? This is a sport that is judged on a 10-9 must system under the unified rules. If you can show me a page within that rule book that gives any kind of advantage to a guy that did something two years ago or to a guy that has a higher ranking next to his name than his opponent that is going to influence the criteria that the judges are sworn to adhere to, I'll change my conversation. I'll change my tone. But there's not. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. And then they want to start talking about their legacy. What does that mean? What kind of mind do you have? I got to tell you, I don't remember anything bad. Do you guys? I only remember the good. I don't remember anything bad. I'm sure I was picked on as a kid. I mean, I'm sure I had all of the same struggles and lived in just as regular a neighborhood as you guys did. Do you remember that stuff? You only remember the good. And it's only you that's going to remember it. This make-believeness that the whole rest of the world, and you're going to be looked at and coveted and treated in a different way for things that you did in a game when you were a kid, is weird. Life does not end well for those guys that want to talk about their laurels and, and the big basket that they scored in the playoffs their junior year. It doesn't end well. 
Don't get stuck. The world's a big place. Do not get stuck in the cracks. And when athletes start talking, it was so refreshing, I guess, to hear Adesanya talk. Yeah, of course I could lose. Get beaten in practice. Been beaten before. What does that have to do with me going out and competing and trying to beat him? Nothing. It was very interesting. As light as it was, as simple as that was, you guys might have even heard this without being breaking it down. You might have even heard it and just kind of glossed on with your day. There's a lot in that. There's a lot into him dancing to the ring. There is. There's a reason other guys don't do it. They can't reset. They can't reset in time. They don't have the energy. They're focused on one thing. Adesanya's a very interesting guy. Very interesting guy. You're listening to You're Welcome with Jail Sonnen. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Now, back to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Mike Tyson sat down and did this piece with Jeff Novinsky. It was very interesting. It was interesting because Novinsky is such a regular guy that you would not know unless you knew Novinsky because you know he's in a very high position and he's in a position where he comes down on people. But that's the, that's the job that he's in. So anything you're ever going to read about Novinsky, oh, Novinsky busted another guy or Novinsky uh, got another guy. But that's also his job. That's the only reason you're ever going to hear about Novinsky, right? It was just one of these things. Very regular guy. So he sits down with Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson begins confessing to cheating on drug tests to Novinsky, the number one authority on drug testing. And Novinsky's okay with it. Like, yeah, you tell me your story. I'm not on the clock. I, I, I'm not testing your sample. Share your story with me. And Novinsky just began, they begin going back and forth. And it was this really compelling. It's a very compelling interview. But Mike shares with him that because of cocaine and marijuana use, he now I know the rules have loosened on marijuana. I think they've even loosened on cocaine. They call it street drugs. I think they've even loosened on that to some degree. But go back to the 80s here. We're going back to the 90s when Mike Tyson was fighting. Go to prison. Go to prison for that stuff. So he was using what's called a whizinator. Do you guys know what a whizinator is? Okay. I'm going to tell you anyway, even though I'm going to be embarrassed to tell you, a whizinator is a fake prosthetic male genitalia. And the way that works is like ties on, like ties on to your body. They even do flesh colors. So you could have a dark skin cone or a medium skin cone or a light skin, skin tone. Then you fill it with urine. And then when you squeeze it, it comes out. Now, the reason this is relevant, and I went into detail, which was embarrassing, by the way, when you do a drug test, the person administering the drug test must see you derobed. And you could just pull your pants, but they must actually see that you're not pouring from a, you know, you don't go into a stall by yourself and then come walking back out. It's not like that. So it's very important to have if you're going to pull the whizinator, okay, you got to get everything right. You got to make it all look right. So Tyson's telling the story. And Nabisky's just listening to it. And it's, it's, and Tyson said, I, I was using my wife's urine. And he said, then my wife came to me. And at one point in Tyson's life, he was married to a doctor. I don't know. I think he's been married a few times. So I don't know if that's it. But at one point, he was married to a doctor. So when he said, my wife came and told me, I made the assumption the doctor wife came and told me, hey, by the way, if I'm ever pregnant, that's going to show up and you're going to be busted for using a woman's urine and the gig's going to be up. So Tyson started using his children's urine. That's the story. But now let's just break it down for a second. The fact, so Tyson was adamant to say, I was using cocaine, I was using marijuana, but I was never using performance enhancers. It, you got to look at that and go, okay. It's very hard to come clean. And in many ways, this was Tyson's attempt to come. Not only was Tyson using performance enhancers, he's using performance enhancers right now. He will go into the Roy Jones fight on performance enhancers right now. 
You can also use this just from a logical standpoint, right? John Jones used to try to pull this one. He was using cocaine, he was busted for cocaine, but swearing he never used PEDS. Then he falls multiple, uh, fails multiple PEDS tests, but guys, the logic just isn't there, all right? Just use a baseball analogy. You can't get to third base if you didn't touch first. You can't get to third base if you didn't touch second. You just can't. You can't get to the top of the mountain without getting to the base. You can't. So you're trying to tell us that you were willing to use a drug that could alter your state of mind and or overdose you, kill you, for sure would make you lose your license and could imprison you. But you weren't willing to use something that could help you. They're both against the rules. One's not even illegal by law. One you could have in your possession and use it in front of a police officer who would continue to dunk his donut in his coffee. That's the one you're not going to use. One could help you at your job. Performance enhancing are positive words. So you're going to do the illegal overdose, land you in prison drug, but you're not going to use the legal one that makes you, but you understand how insane that is? There's just really no point in saying it. I know so many guys, you know, Hulk Hogan was big on this when he came out and admitted that he did steroids, but then, you know, it was for a shoulder injury, it was for this. Don't come partway clean. And it's very hard as a human being to come all the way clean, in all fairness, it just is, and you guys can relate to that. But that was one of those things within the story. It's like, Mike, if you're going to tell the story, you got to just tell the story. And the whole two truths and a lie, that works on children. You can't tell two truths and then one lie to gain credibility for the lie by telling two truths. It doesn't work that way. You did not use cocaine and marijuana only. You did not not take PEDS. You are taking PEDS now. You are training on PEDS. You are using PEDS right now. USADA is not the holy grail. My eyes are the holy grail. Mark Coleman uh, had a heart attack and tried to sleep it off. He didn't know what was going on. He thought his chest was hurting, so he lays down. He tries to sleep it off. He finally gets up and drives himself to the hospital. And my entire point of making this video is to attempt to entertain Mark Coleman while he's in the hospital. Tell him hello. Let him know I'm thinking about him. I speak for all of us as a community. We're all thinking about him. So glad that he's okay and hope he works through this thing. Now, I want to tell you guys a couple of Mark Coleman stories. So Mark is older than me, and I'm trying to think by how much. I think 10 years would be a good guess. But I know when I was an aspiring young middle school wrestler, Mark was an Olympian. Mark was on the 1992 Olympic team. A lot of people don't know that. Mark Coleman has a world silver medal. Mark Coleman was an NCAA champion. I think most of you know that he was an NCAA champion. But the Olympian part was one of those things that just never really got told in the Mark Coleman story. And the fact that he was a world finalist with a silver medal, also never got told because he became the UFC champion. That's how all of you guys knew him. So a lot of times you feel as though you're insulting or demoting a guy who is the world champion by saying, oh, and by the way, at one point he was second in the world. You, you feel like that's an insult. I'm just here to share with you as an amateur wrestler, tremendous honor. Something Mark's very proud of, should be very proud of, dedicated, sacrificed, and worked hard for. So Mark had come out to Eugene, which is a city in Oregon. I ended up going to college there, but it was two and a half hours away from where I lived. And he put on a clinic. USA Wrestling was in town. I think there was a dual meet against the Russians, but then they came out and they, they did a clinic, and Mark Coleman was part of that. And it's the first time I ever saw him. And, I mean, this guy was smooth. Mark Coleman was smooth. He was showing some kind of a throw from an over-under position, step around the leg, arch your hips, throw the guy. And he would throw this opponent, and he would put him down like a feather. I've never seen anything like it to this day. I've never seen anybody have such control. And then when you understand, Mark was doing this at a weight class called 220. And 220 no longer exists. But to put 220, that weight class, in perspective for you, that's the weight class where Kurt Angle became the world and Olympic champion. As a matter of fact, Kurt Angle and Mark Coleman battled it out a number of times. Same weight class. Coleman was the 92 Olympian, tried to become 96 Olympian, but lost 
at the trials, Angle won it, Angle won the gold medal. So, I mean, right? That probably interests you. Mark Coleman wrestled Kurt Angle. Yeah, a bunch of times he did. But Mark Coleman ends up in the UFC, and I'm watching it, man. Right? I'm cheering for the wrestlers. And there, there was a time, and it was just before Coleman, when we had no idea as wrestlers that we were tough guys. We knew it was a really hard sport, but we didn't, we didn't know that. You don't walk around the hallway or walk around. T- nobody showed you that respect, and you didn't even know it yourself. Tellus got tested in the UFC, and it was Dan Severn who brought it to everyone's attention and made wrestlers go, oh, wow, we, we have a skill that you know, might work. Maybe this is something we could do someday. Nobody even knew that until Dan Severn came along. Well, Coleman was right behind Severn. Coleman's the one that came right in behind Dan, set the world on fire. So then eventually I end up, right, I'm just a little kid with a dream. I grow up, and I end up on a card with Mark Coleman, and Mark was the main event. He was taken on Randy Couture. And as much as I was a fan of Coleman, I had never met Coleman, and I'm Randy's teammate. So I'm pro-Randy, but the truth, I really like Mark Coleman. I'm into, I've looked up to this guy, but he doesn't know any of these things. He probably thought I was a jerk. I was a co-main event on that night. And so I go to the press conference, we're all there, I call Mark Coleman a bum. This guy's a bum. Randy's going to get rid of this guy. Now, you will hear guys call bums all the time. This was in 2009. Nobody in MMA had ever called anybody a bum, ever. I mean, this was like the most uh, profane thing that had ever been spoken at an MMA press conference. Nobody knew how to handle it. Mark didn't know how to handle it. Dana was in the middle, didn't know what to say. Nobody, like this This was trash talk to the highest of level. A three-letter word, bum. Very common in the boxing world. Nobody had ever used it in MMA. It's all about, oh, my my respect and my honor, because that's what Bruce Lee told me in the movies. But that's still where MMA was. Until I came along. At any rate. So... When the whole thing's done, Coleman comes up to me. And it, a while later, I mean, the whole thing's done. We pack up, we go on. He's at a show, I'm at a show. He comes right up to me. He says, hey, you know what? You called me a bum. Now, I've never talked to this guy, and he's a monster. And he doesn't know, he doesn't know he's bigger than life to me. He doesn't know that I was looking up to him and paying to come to clinics that he's throwing guys around back when I was, you know, in junior high. So uh, it's one of those things. Like, well said something, Shale, looks like you're going to have to answer for it. So anyway, he walks up to me. He goes, so you said I was a bum. And he takes a drink of his beer and he goes, I thought about it. I am a bum. You know, I drink a lot of beer. I think I am a bum. <laughs> I just end up having this great moment with Mark Coleman. And now I'm talking him out of it. No, oh, no, Mark, you're not a bum, man. Oh, no, I'm teammates with Randy. You know, I was, I was just trying to back up Randy. He's like, no, no, I've, I've been thinking about it. He takes another drink of his beer. He starts insisting to me, no, I'm a bum. I'm a bum. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this to my attention. <laughs> it's like, so Coleman turns out to have, to be this great guy, like have this really good sense of humor, be lighthearted, not take himself too serious, right? So this is how I got to know him, though. And so it was kind of cool. You know, we ripped the bandaid off. We start right away. So I end up in Brazil doing the Ultimate Fighter, and it's with Vandalay. And if you guys will remember that time, if you don't, but they hated me in Brazil. I had armed security. I had to ride around in a bulletproof car. They hated me. Vandalay hated me. So I end up in a fight with Vandalay. Now, I'm, I'm outnumbered however many to one, right? Unless my coach Clayton's going to get, and I don't want Coach Clayton involved. Clayton had just retired. Clayton had just retired. He doesn't need to be involved in it because I talk some trash about a country. So that's why I'm excluding Clayton and Jamie and Vinny and, and, and Coach Scott, I'm excluding those guys because I don't want them. If somebody's got to take it on the chin, it's got to be me. End up in this fight with Vandalay and Vandalay's buddies jump in. So I end up getting jumped. I don't know what to do. And my security guard didn't know what to do. He pulled Vandalay aside, man to man. He goes, Vandalay, I'm not a trained fighter. And he pulls his jacket back and he shows him his gun. This is what I have. I'm here to protect him. If you do that again, I have one way to protect. And I had to go talk to the security guard. No. Under no circumstance do we shoot Vandalay. He's like, well, that, that's what I do. That's how I... St-. No, no. No matter what happens to me, we don't shoot Vandalay. So things got really weird. I called Mark Coleman. I'm in Brazil. I called Mark. I said, man, I, I, I got to have some muscle out here. And Coleman said, I'll be on a plane tonight. And I, I bring that to you because, you know, I start off contentious with Coleman. I insult him at a press conference. He comes up to me and makes a joke. And now next thing I know, my back's against a wall. I call Mark Coleman. And he says, yes. I can't remember what ended up happening. It ended up being something in, with production. 
Somehow we couldn't get Coleman there or we didn't get whatever happened. He ended up not coming, but I asked him to come. I, he knew why. Wasn't going to be like the world's most fun job. And he said, yes. And it's the thought that counts. And I've always owed you. I've always owed you, Hammer. Probably never going to pay you back, but I owe you. All right, guys, good place to call it. Going to be a fun weekend, and I will be back on Wednesday along with you all. And until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.